When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 268, and we are recording on February 9th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Amanda Nelson. We're coming to you from Book Riot. I still have snow on the ground. What about doot, you? Doot, 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 doot. Um, barely. I got very good about shoveling the snow this week because I discovered that my puppy thinks that snow means that he's standing on the ground, so, so he will pee on it. Which means he pees all over my deck (laughs) because he thinks that it's dirt or I assume that's what's happening. Like it all looks the same to him. So I shoveled most of my snow away as soon as I could because stop being on my stuff, man. Oh, man. So I don't have much left. No. Puppy, no. (laughs) (sighs) Fair enough. It's not like I'm sitting on my deck. It doesn't actually matter. It just like irritates me. Sure, sure. Nobody (laughs) likes a yellow deck. Uh, All right. (laughs) Well, on that note, welcome to the show. Uh, It is, as I said at the top, a show for personalized reading recommendations. So if you are looking for a book to fill a hole in your heart or on your bookshelf, maybe you need a recommendation for a book club or a friend and family member or whatever, you can send in those requests to either email Get booked at bookriot.com, or you can drop them in the form that's on the show notes on the site for every episode. If you have a time sensitive question, maybe it's a gift order for travel or something and you need it by a particular date, please put time sensitive, all caps, either in the subject line of the email or the very first line of the form. We say this literally every episode and people still don't do it. Like, seriously, it's so easy to miss uh, if you don't do it that way. Um, And we will try to get to it before that. Um, If we don't think we're going to get to it on air, we might send you an email response. So keep an eye out for those. All right. So we've got some feedback. Uh, First is from Margot. For the person looking for books about women healing from buried trauma and which feature supportive men, Tess of the Road by Rachel Hartman. It's a companion to Hartman's first books, and although I recommend them, you don't have to read them. Trigger warning for sexual assault and miscarriage. It's a beautiful book that is so much about recovery and learning how to trust yourself, your body, and the world again, and also has adventure and many non-problematic, cute and fluffy, and sometimes sexy dudes. The dragons are fairly peripheral. That's a good sentence. Thank you, Margot, for that recommendation. Uh, from Rose. For Rose? From Rose? Interesting. <laughs> Rose, who got into historical romance, but with women who have interest in other things in the ballroom, I recommend the book The Secret History of the Pink Carnation by Lauren Willig. It's a dual timeline set in modern times and Napoleon Bonaparte's time, and it's about a woman trying to figure out the identity of the pink carnation who is like the Scarlet Pimpernel. Uh, And from Stephanie, for Isabel, who wanted ocean and conservation-themed fiction, I'd like to recommend Current Futures, a sci-fi ocean anthology edited by Anne Vandermeer. It's literally an anthology of short stories, some by well-known sci-fi authors, with the theme of ocean conservation. 
personal note, I went look. I saw this and I was like, I want to read that. And I went looking, <sighs> and this book is like impossible to get. I think it was like a very independent press, maybe, mm. who issued it, which is frustrating because it sounds amazing. Um, I'm gonna keep hunting for it, and yeah. All right, so that's our feedback. Thank you all for your suggestions. I will now read our first question, and then we'll take a sponsor break, and then we will get into the show. So our first question is from Mason, who says, could I ask for two separate recommendations? One is for my job and one is for my personal reading. My professional recommendation, I'm a seventh and eighth grade history teacher. I'm looking for some middle grade historical fiction books for the classroom, preferably Texas history and U.S. history, since those are the subjects I teach. My personal recommendation, I really, really enjoyed True Detective, especially season one with Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. I would like to read dark crime slash detective slash mystery thriller books similar to True Detective. All right, let us take a break. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris, is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Woo, Amanda, we split this question up uh, mm -hmm. and you are taking the middle grade U.S. history question. Yes, I am. So I picked kind of a classic of the well, classic. It came out in 2002. Classic to me of this uh, genre. <laughs> it's Esperanza Rising by Pam Munoz Ryan. And this is a middle grade novel about a girl named Esperanza who lives on a ranch in Mexico. Her family is like pretty wealthy. They're doing all right. You know what I'm saying? And then her dad dies tragically and suddenly and her and her mother and her grandmother are left in a big financial pickle because of how her dad like left, you know, everything. 
And so her mother and Esperanza leave. They immigrate to the U.S. They go to California. And this is in the middle of the Great Depression. So it's not like a great time to be going to the U.S. or anywhere, really. They leave her grandmother behind until they can settle and make some money. And then they'll, you know, like call for her. Esperanza is like very shocked at what her life becomes when she gets to California because they settle in a camp for farm workers and they start doing that kind of work. She is not used to doing manual labor. Um, She's not used to being poor at all, having any kind of financial struggles. Um, She's never really faced racism of any kind. And so she's got to deal with that. And then, of course, there's the like becoming responsible in ways that like a 10 or 11 year old has no business being responsible for for her siblings and her mother and like what happens if one of us gets sick and we can't work then we don't eat like it's just a cycle of poverty and cycle of hardship in her life caused by just this one really awful tragedy and so i picked this one because it's a you know the great depression is not an underrepresented time period in american history but the great depression as it affected this specific demographic of people i think is you know we talk a lot about the grapes of wrath kind of version of the great depression about like how the poor white people made it through but how did everybody else make it through i think is a really great question that we should be asking especially in history classes so that's esperanza rising by pam munoz ryan all right i took the Books like True Detective, which is funny because, you know, we all know my capacity for <laughs> horror and gore is minimal. And it's so funny because I I thought back to so the book I'm recommending is The Devil All the Time by Donald Ray Pollock, which is like it is a weird like, is there supernatural? Is there not supernatural sort of gothic, rural, gory, gory, violent, violent horror novel? And I read this like years ago and I just it it reminded me that like my capacity for this stuff has actually diminished. Like I used to read more and be OK with it. I don't know what's happening to I like I'm turning into a cream puff the older I get, the less I can handle <laughs> in terms of this stuff. But it, it is the first book that occurred to me when I was thinking about this request. And I think. Like I said, like it's it's like, is there supernatural stuff? Is there not supernatural stuff? Um, it is that sort of rural gothic feel to it. There's like a lot of backwoods stuff in Ohio and West Virginia. And it spans from the end of World War II to the 1960s. And there's a bunch of different sort of threads. Um, there's like a husband and wife serial killer team. And then there's this like preacher uh, who's on the run from the law. And then there is a veteran, um, a war veteran who, you know, loses his wife to cancer and has like weird ideas about like how he's going to protect his family. And, you know, everybody is just sort of everybody's messed up. Everybody's so, (sighs) so extremely messed up. I mean, all you have to do is take a look at the cover and you'll get a feel for it. So I think it has a lot in common with especially that first season of True Detective. And yeah, I think it will scratch that that itch. So again, that's The Devil All the Time by Donald Ray Pollock. All right. Our next question comes from Donya, who says, I would love some recs for my dad. He's basically retired because of COVID. He's worked from home since March 2019 and watched all the TV shows, and I want him to have some mental stimulation. I can't remember the last book he read, but I can tell you he loves sports, westerns, detective stuff, and small-town America. He would hate anything with fantasy, sci-fi, or true crime. Okay, I picked The Dime by Kathleen Kent, which combines, I think, Western and detective stuff in a really nice way. Uh, it's about a detective named Betty, whose last name is unpronounceable to me, Rizjik. She's Polish. It's like a whole thing. It's like a part of her character. 
And she is from Brooklyn. And she moves to follow her girlfriend to Dallas because that's where her girlfriend's um, family and job is. So she moves to Dallas and joins the police force there. So when I started this book, I was a little like, oh, so it's a white lady goes to Texas and then like hunts brown people. And I don't know how I feel about that. But everybody at Book Riot loved it, which is usually a good indication that like it's not going to be a horror show. <laughs> so I trusted and I went into it and I read it. And it's not that at all. She The case that she gets into when the book first opens is looks like it's about a drug cartel and looks like it's going to be about like smuggling over the border and that whole thing. And then it just takes you in such a wild, different kind of place. And Betty is such a great character. I will say that there is a little bit of like, Betty is a good cop, you know, TM kind of a thing and like would report the bad ones. And if that's going to be a thing that like bothers your dad or would bother, I mean, any reader who's listening to this, then that is definitely in there. But for it's like big dad vibes. Like there's a lot of Western <laughs> stuff happening here. Like Dallas is its own mood. There's like a moment where she communes like uh, emotionally with a cow, like a longhorn, you know, not just a cow, one of the Texas ones with the big horns. And it's like a whole moment that she has with the thing. And so I think that this will really nicely scratch all those itches for him. So that's The Dime by Kathleen Kent. Yeah, I uh, also picked a Western mystery series. I picked The Longmire series by Craig Johnson, which I know you said he's watched all the TV. I don't know if he found this one, though, uh, when he was it's not, it's on Netflix. And I thought it was a pretty solid adaptation series. Um, I enjoyed it. So the the Walt Longmire series uh, follows a sheriff named Walt Longmire. Surprise! Mm-hmm. Um, he is the sheriff of Absaroka County in Wyoming, which is very like rural and right next to the Cheyenne Reservation. And he has like kind of classic small town sheriff problems uh, and cases that he has to solve. There, I will say, I mean, for this is for, I don't think this is probably going to bother your dad, but for other listeners, there are often plot elements involving violence towards women and children. Um, so know that going in. But like Longmire is a real, one of those like gruff sort of internal teddy bear kind of guys. You know, he's a loner. He, one of his best friends um, is a Cheyenne man from the reservation. And like they have a really, there's just like a really lovely buddy buddy relationship. That I like. It's like a little bit of a bromance. I kind of love. Mm -hmm. Uh, And like he just I don't know. He's like he's trying to do right. Things are complicated. It's a mystery series. Like that's the story. But yeah, I did. I found I read these years ago and like I just really enjoyed the whole series as like a paradigm of that sort of small town noir mystery series. So I think and there's a lot of these books. So if he does get into them, like he will have lots and lots of reading to do. It's very there's even some novellas set in the same world. There's like there's like 16 books. There's 16. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. They're still being published. Yeah. So you can you can go far on this one. Um, And I do think that like while I don't think it's free of some problematic representation of Native peoples. I think the author is trying to do right. So, mm. you know, that, that again, does not excuse uh, mistakes made, but it is uh, an intention to keep in mind. So, uh, again, that's the Walt Longmire series by Craig Johnson. All right. Our next question is from Emily, who says, I just finished Ask Again Yes, and I absolutely loved it. I'm wanting to find another novel similar to it. 
I think I loved how the characters were so fully drawn and rich. The author did such a great job exploring all the personal backgrounds. That way you fully understood who they were and all their complexities. I enjoyed the dynamic between the two families and the special, almost idyllic childhood friendship between Peter and Kate. I also loved watching how the people changed over time. Books that I've enjoyed before that felt similar to this one are Little Fires Everywhere and Commonwealth. Amanda, what did you pick? Um, I picked The Dutch House. We're just going to carry on with this Ann Patchett thing because you said that you've read Commonwealth. But I think The Dutch House does this maybe a little bit better. Okay, so The Dutch House by <laughs> Ann Patchett is the thing that I'm talking about. And in this book, it's like right after the Second World War, Cyril is uh, comes back and like because of one canny investment that he makes, uh, discovers that he is very wealthy and he becomes like this real estate magnet. And he's got two kids and a wife and he buys this house in Philadelphia that's called the Dutch house. That's just palatial and ridiculous. You know, it's one of those things that a nouveau riche sort of person would purchase. And so he does. His wife leaves his family, abandons his family, like literally, literally to go to India to like help the poor, capital T, capital P, help the poor. And so he is left with these two kids and can't hang with it. So he remarries quite quickly. The new wife is a little bit of a monster, brings her two children with her. And he, this is not a spoiler, it happens pretty soon in the book, he dies, the dad dies of a heart attack when the kids are like teenagers, the brother and the sister, his two kids, Danny and Maeve. And so they are stuck in this giant house with this step monster who hates them. And she wrangles, legally wrangles away to get them disinherited, like out of the home. So they leave and find themselves like thrust into poverty that their father worked really hard to bring his family out of. And then you are just like with them as they grow up. They grow up kind of vacillating in between bitterness about what happened in their childhood and like focusing on the future. Danny goes off to become a doctor. Maeve works a job uh, as an accountant. They make their own families like they do their own thing. But weirdly, with surprising frequency, they like park outside of this house over the years, like for years, decades, they do this and like rehash the past and wonder where their mother went and and all of that kind of stuff. Some people found it really obnoxious (laughs) how often they, like, go sit back at this house when they have these perfectly acceptable upper middle class lives that they've created for themselves. And, like, the fact that you just, like, you're comfortable, but you're so fixated on this one house that maybe you wouldn't have even liked having as an adult anyway is just some spoiled white people nonsense. And, like, (laughs) that is not untrue, right? But it's so emotional. And, like, I think it's actually quite telling and that Ann Patchett is really hitting on a thing about how... like losing your perceived class status can be so traumatizing because capitalism is crazy right like it's just wonky and we put so we invest so much of our personal identity in it and so watching these two people just like live their life and it felt i mean they're not um neighbors or friends in the same way that the characters in ask again yes are they're like related obviously but they have the stories that they tell themselves and that they tell each other about the decisions that they've made are so different and you do have to do that same plot device of like getting in one person's head and getting their version of the thing or that narrative device rather in order to see the full picture so it's got a lot of similarities so that's the dutch house by ann patchett Speaking of capitalism is crazy. <laughs> um, I Yeah, I was thinking about like, oh, families and like there's more to this story. So I'm recommending Behold the Dreamers by Mbolo Mbue, which I just loved when it came out. Uh, what? Oh, yeah. 2016. Gosh, mm. that's five years ago now. That's bonkers. And it is about two families. It is about two families. 
one family are Jende Janga and his wife Nenny and their six-year-old son. Um, they are from Cameroon. They are immigrants living in Harlem. And like they have come to the U.S. to, you know, do the thing, like got to get a better life, you know, make more money, um, be able to send some home. And also there's like some stuff back home that they don't want to deal with. And Jende gets like sort of accidentally almost um not accidentally but like it was a it was a big shot but he gets a job as the chauffeur for a senior executive at Lehman Brothers in late 2007 so you can already see where this is going and Clark Edwards is like you know very like demanding of personal loyalty in his driver and Jende like just is like yep sure like I'm your man like you're gonna pay me a lot of money and for that I will keep your secrets and of course you know there's secrets. And then Clark's wife, Cindy, ends up offering Jende's wife, Nenny, work at their summer house in the Hamptons. And the two families, you know, start to become more and more enmeshed. And the Jangas see more and more of like, you know, the like not so great aspects of the Edwards. There's like some, you know, lots of drinking and like, you know, like secret, like family secret stuff going on. And they are trying to, like, make their own way. You know, Nanny's trying to get a degree. She wants to go to school. Like, there's all kinds of stuff. And their paperwork is, like, not happening the way they want it to. So they're also struggling to stay in the United States. And then, you know, the financial world collapses and the Edwards are losing their money. But like the jungles are like, oh, we like depend on this family for our entire livelihood. Like, what are we going to do? And so everybody has to, you know, figure out like how they're going to handle all of this. And so there's a lot of economic and emotional enmeshment. And it's really it's so well done. And everybody is complex and you see like what on the surface looks this way maybe has more going on underneath it and you know and boy just does such an amazing job uh fleshing out all of these different characters so it sounds like exactly the kind of thing you're looking for so again that's behold the dreamers by mbolo mbue all right our next question is from angela who says i would love a recommendation for something heartwarming to read around the winter holidays slash darkest week of the year uh, we're a little late, but that's okay. I typically like to read something lighthearted or at least with a happy ending about characters with some emotional complexity and strong chosen family relationships. LGBTQIA characters are pretty important to me, but the chosen family storyline is most important. Last year, I read The Snow Child and loved it, but I could also go for something like House in the Cerulean Sea. Holiday or wintry themes are welcome, but not necessary. I love fantasy, literary fiction, and memoirs, but I'm not into reading short stories or books that really center romance. Okay, found families. I picked Hunger Makes the Wolf by Alex Wells, which is science fiction, also kind of a Western. We've got like a Western thing happening this week that's got my favorite found family, which is found family that kind of wants to kill each other sometimes. <laughs> I love that so much. They're like a little bit violent. It's totally fine. It's but they will also make you sandwiches and like staunch your wounds. I love it. Okay, so our main character is Hob. Um, she is an orphan who was like penniless when she arrives on this planet, Tanegawa. And she gets taken in by a man named Nick Ravani, who runs the Ghost Wolves, which is a gang, a biker gang of mercenaries on this planet that is very um, like Wild West California in the gold rush kind of a feeling. And it's run by a corporation, the Transworld Corporation, um, who runs all these mining towns on this planet and is very villainy about it. <laughs> like they're bad bosses. Like it's um, lots of oppression. There's lots of talk of like union organizing and, and labor in the book, which I found really interesting. Anyway, so it, when the book opens, she finds our main character finds Nick's brother out in the desert and has to um, report that his brother is dead to her boss and also to 
his family who she is close to because they've like raised her. And then the more you get into it, the more you figure out that she committed some horrible error, like maybe a year before the book opens, where she betrayed this family, this this like gang that she is living with in some horrible way and has been, which you do eventually get the details of, and has been kicked to the bottom of the ladder and has to reprove herself. So she's the one given all these grunt tasks of like, of like going and finding out who that body is that's out there in the middle of the desert that we can all see, but nobody wants to deal with. So now that's your job. And so she has this huge emotional desire to reinstate herself in this group because these are her people. They're the only people that she has. And, you know, when, when you cross them, they will, you know, kick you to the bottom of the ladder, which does involve sometimes beating you up a little bit. Like, it's just very rough and tumble. It's very Western-ish in that way. But the as you stick with them throughout the story, which involves, like, crazy villains called the Weathermen who control planets, it's so bananas and great. You find how and why you get more history of why their uh, their ties are so strong. There are queer characters on the page. Oh, I forgot to say, Alex Wells, the author, writes our SFF newsletter. So full disclosure that they are a Book Riot contributing editor. I love this book so much. Okay, so that's Hunger Makes the Wolf by Alex Wells. Yeah, I love that book, too. I have the sequel sitting on my shelf. I have to get to it one of these days. All right. So I also picked a sci-fi with like some touches of the what feels like magic. Uh, it's Ascension by Jacqueline Koyanagi. And I picked this because it is like extremely found family. It's extremely queer. It's really fun. I will say there is a romantic subplot, but it is a subplot. And there's both found family and like blood family stuff in here, which is also really fun, like to see the tensions between those things. The main character, Elena, is it's called the Sky Surgeon. She's like a she's a spaceship repair woman. She's extremely talented but like underemployed and struggling to, you know, keep her shop open and pay the bills. And then a cargo vessel stops by looking for her sister, who is like this, you know, like astral projection sort of famous figure. Her sister Nova, like Alana, ends up stowing away on this vessel. Her sister is not here. She doesn't know where she is. And she doesn't care. Like she, her dream is to go into space and be part of a crew. And she's like, well... They didn't invite me, but I'm going anyway. (laughs) And she hopes that, like, being so stellar at what she does is going to be enough to keep her on this crew. But then, you know, there's, like, so much more going on. Um, Nova, who is missing, is actually in danger. And uh, Alana has to, like, figure out also what's going on with this crew. Like, none of them are at first glance what they seem to be and there's some like romantic tension but also there's bombs and like it's just there's a lot going on um and it is extremely fun it is extremely heartwarming i love the world building on this it's really fascinating and elena is such a great character she's also chronically ill she has a like a pain condition in her hands i can't remember what it's called in the book but um it really it's she struggles with you know being able to do the things she loves despite this physical limitation that she has but it's also like it's part of her and it's just you know it's a fact of her life and i love the how that's dealt with in the book as well so again that's ascension by jacqueline koyanagi and it is time for another sponsor break Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. 
college student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the critic Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Disney Books. Do y'all like Caribbean mythology? What's more, a thriller inspired by Caribbean mythology? If you do, I got something for you. A must-read thriller that draws from the darkest corners of Caribbean mythology from acclaimed author Sarah Das, who crafts a chilling tale of magic, murder, and how far we'll go to protect what's ours. It's perfect for fans of Angeline Bully and Tiffany D. Jackson. So, unlike other people on the small island of St. Virgil, Selena Da Silva does not believe in magic. She has a logical mind. She likes botany. She wants to study pharmacology. But then her mother gets sick and she's tethered to the island and she has to make money. So what does she do? She cons a couple gullible tourists with these useless talismans and phony protection rituals. But then one of the tourists ends up dead and at the center of a strange string of murders. And the truth Selena has been denying can no longer be avoided. There is evil lurking in the forest that surrounds St. Virgil. Now to find out what that evil is, make sure to pick up It Waits in the Forest by Sarah Das. And thanks again to Disney Books for sponsoring this episode. All right. Next question is from Ashley, who says, I finished reading The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Klune. Everybody loves that book. <laughs> I finished reading The House in the Cerulean Sea recently and completely fell in love with it. I love the story. I love the adult characters and I love the children characters. I love their relationships with each other and I loved the growth throughout the book of Linus. This is just such a sweet, cozy read and I would love to find something similar. Any suggestions would be great. Amanda, I've been talking for 6,000 mm -hmm. years. I mean, Ashley, you and everyone else, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think the real answer is you just got to wait for T.J. Clue to write another book. <laughs> but the closest that we can get, that's what we'll give you. So I picked Not Your Sidekick by C.B. Lee, which has a similar kind of conceit where we're in what is recognizable as the normal world, but there are magical elements. This is more sci-fi. It's like superheroes. So we're in the normal world. But there are, and it's recognizable as such, but people have superpowers. And that's just kind of accepted in the way that things are. So the city that we're in is Andover. Superpowers are super are like very, very common. Jessica Tran is the main character. And her parents are superheroes with like heroes. You know, like they fight the um, mega villain of the town constantly. And she's got like all of this stuff that she's supposed to live up to with these parents who are very famous and well known and accomplished and all that kind of stuff. But like all she kind of wants to do is get an internship and go to college and like carry on with her life. You know, she's like not about that life. So she finds a really, really great internship. And then it turns out that it's for the supervillain who her parents are always fighting. But 
another caveat here is that the other intern or the person running the internship program who she would be working directly with is her crush, Abby, her secret crush, Abby. And so she is not going anywhere because she wants to stay here and get to know Abby a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Um, But also she's got Jessica has a lot of feelings about pressure in her family and she doesn't want to spend a lot of time at home, I guess is like the nice way to put it. And so she doesn't know that like the, the the person behind the internship is this mega villain for a while. She figures it out eventually. And then like, what do you do with that? Because while she's there working for these people, the lines between what is good and what is, you know, like villainous or what is helpful and what is harmful get really blurry for her. And so this idea of like good versus evil and how it's so black and white and how her parents are the good guys and these other people are the bad guys. She starts to ask a lot of questions about those things, um, which is exactly Lioness's journey in Cerulean Sea, right? Like everything that he's ever known about what's good and right and appropriate and the right things to do come into question the more he gets to know like people who have to live under these rules. Um, And so Jessica is growing up in that same kind of way. Even though Lioness is in her 40s and Jessica is a high school student, it feels like a very similar journey. And she's got a great cast of friends who, as the series continues, have their own breakout books, um, which is, again, also like pretty similar to the Cerulean Sea with all the kids and how they're each like a little kooky and great and lovable in their own way. So, yeah. So that's Not Your Sidekick by C.B. Lee. Yeah, I was thinking, right, about the Linus journey. And also you talk a lot, Ashley, about like the interactions between the adults and the kids. And this is not precisely the same, but I think it has similar elements. I'm recommending Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho, that other mainstay of cozy Mm -hmm. fantasy. But you didn't mention it, so I'm just making sure that you've read it. Because this is, it is not contemporary. It takes place in sort of a uh, Victorian-ish Britain in which magic is 100% real and normal. Um, And the main character, Zacharias Wythe, was uh, an enslaved person who was adopted by this, like, British lord because he had clear magical talent. And the, the lord was like, oh, I will, you know, bring you up and, like, we'll train your talent and you can be my successor. And um, there's this whole, you know, sort of governing body of unnatural philosophers is what they're called, uh, who are all very, like, stodgy and old and white and are, like, not delighted about Zacharias being, you know, the powerful new magician in charge of things. But, like, they kind of don't have a lot of options. And Zacharias, in the meantime, is like doing his best, you know, to be upright and proper and unobjectionable in, you know, ways that are sort of impossible for him to fulfill because of racism being what it is. But he's doing his best. And he gets like invited to give a speech to this uh, like young women's finishing school about why they should not do magic because women are not supposed to do magic. And in the meantime, there's also a problem where magic is like disappearing and there's not enough for their spells and they don't know why. Um, And he goes to this boarding school and like all of these girls are doing magic all over the place. And he's like, why do they have so much magic? What is going on here? And he meets Prunella, who is a young woman who sort of works there. Um, She is biracial and she also has like huge magical talents. And he starts to understand like, uh, there's some conventions of society that like perhaps are not only incorrect, but like just flat out blatantly wrong in terms of how we understand magic to work. And then the two of them have adventures together and it's so much fun. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I don't know, it's delightful. 
And there is there isn't as much of the like kids and adults vibe, but it is there a little bit. And the whole journey that the two go on is just like I said, it's a delight. So again, that's Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho. All right. Our next question is from Niam, who says, I have desperately been trying to find a book like Lovely War by Julie Berry. I read it back in June and haven't found a book that even compares since. My favorite things about this book were the mythology, romance, the time period, which is the 20s, the way the gods interacted with the humans, the portrayal of death, the settings, which is England and France with a little bit of Belgium and America. It would be so amazing if you could find books like it. Okay, so I picked Brimstone by Sherry Priest, which comes with a trigger warning for scenes of war, like gruesome scenes of war, uh, which combines in the same kind of way, well, similar kind of way, this idea of gods or supernatural beings outside of the control of humans pulling strings or influencing or being involved in the big historical events of humanity. So the two main characters in Brimstone are Thomas Cordero, who in World War One was in the trenches in Europe, and his job was operating a flamethrower. And so he has come home from the war and discovered that his wife has died of the Spanish flu. So now he is alone in his home with no family and just these nightmares that he's having about what he did during the war. What's also happening is that stuff is randomly catching on fire around him in his home, which is like... While he's asleep, he's not doing it, but of course everyone is going to think that he's doing it because he's very obviously got PTSD, he's not doing well, and because of what he did in the war. So he's struggling to, like, hide it and also figure out who's setting all these fires and, like, what is going on. Um, And then the other main character is Alice, who's this very, like, zen and gentle kind of woman. She's a clairvoyant, and she starts to feel like if she practices her talents or in any way admits to what she is out loud in her hometown, she's going to get run out of town. So she hears about a community called Casadega in Florida, where people who have supernatural abilities are going to like form a self-containing community so they don't have to deal with like outsiders. So she decides she's going to go there. And while she's there, she starts having these dreams. And she knows that she's dreaming about this man, about Thomas. She's dreaming about fire. She's dreaming about a war veteran who's got shell shock. Um, who's a widower and all of that. And so he starts being drawn to this community, to Casadega. But like they, through most of the book, they kind of circle around each other. But behind the scenes, there is this force that is pulling them together that's making all of this happen. You could even kind of classify it as a horror novel a little bit. I did not read it that way. And as we all know, and Jen mentioned earlier, we are both very sensitive to horror (laughs) novels. It was not horrifying to me in any way. But I could see how some people would consider it. I don't want to say anymore because it's going to spoil it. But if you are into like, overseas adventures and also early 20th century settings and like gods and monsters playing with humans. This is right up your alley. So it's a brimstone by Sherry Priest. Yeah. So Neve, I think that this is a tough one because the lovely war, like while it goes into obviously the horrors of war, it also has like a little bit of like a, like a lightness to it, like a, like a, like a gildedness to it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that was hard for me to match. But I think I matched some other things. So if that's if that like tone is really important to you, I'm not sure my pick is gonna work for you, but I'm gonna give it to you anyway. It's Anti-Goddess by Kendar Blake, which is the first book in the Goddess War. And what this has in common with the Lovely War is that it is the gods sort of interacting directly with humans and the way that that plays out in terms of like interactions in the human world. So the premise of this series is that 
a bunch of the Greek gods have been reborn as sort of mortals. They're kind of like mortal and kind of not. It's it's complicated. Hashtag complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, and Athena is the main character, and she is like starting to have weird symptoms, like feathers are sprouting from underneath her skin, and like she's like having trouble like breathing. And then Hermes shows up, and he is like. He's got some kind of wasting disease um, and like they are not they're supposed to just like live forever kind of in stasis. And that's not what is happening. They're starting to die. And they are like they go on a quest because they obviously don't want to do that uh, to try to figure out like what is going on. Um, And they go all around like it's international. They go all over the world. Uh, They end up finding Cassandra, who is an ordinary human girl, but who was once you might recognize her name you know, an extraordinary prophetess. And she doesn't remember her past life. You know, she doesn't know any of this stuff. So they have to be like, so listen, here's what's going on. And, you know, try to, like, gather allies. And and there's a whole war. And it's, uh, like, between the Olympians. And it's a whole situation. This is a series. Um, This is just the first book of, I want to say there are three... Uh, Yeah, it's a trilogy. And I really loved the way that the mythology got an update. Like, that's if that's a thing that you loved about The Lovely War, I think this is a really interesting portrayal of, like, yeah, what it would be like to be, you know, a god who is now, like, interacting with the human world and doesn't have as many choices as they would like about it. But like I said, it's darker. Like, it's definitely darker. It's a little bit, like, a little bit of body horror involved. I really thought it was fascinating, though, and I loved the characters. So it might be worth a shot. Again, that's Anti-Goddess by Kendar Blake. And our last question is from Maria Carla, who says, I'm looking for poetry audiobook recommendations. I recently bought Lana Del Rey's Violet Bent Backwards Over the Grass on audio and found it to be extremely therapeutic. I'm in law school now and don't have the time to read anything except case books. I also found I have about zero capacity for concentration left outside my class material and find my mind wandering even during my most favorite podcasts, which I listen to for therapeutic aspect. But Violet is something I can listen to over and over again, and I feel soothed. I like that it's ethereal and nostalgic. I like themes of love and love for your city and the personification of a city. I like the dreaminess of it, too. I do like spoken word, but I'd prefer things that aren't particularly heart-wrenching or political. I'm looking more for an escape than an awakening. Hope I haven't made this impossible. Well, (laughs) let me tell you, Maria. (laughs) This was really hard. (laughs) Amanda, you go first. Okay, um, I I mean, this might seem like a gimme, but I picked I Would Leave Me If I Could by Halsey, which is a poetry collection that also has elements of like being set to music a little bit. And I love Lana Del Rey, I will say, like with no, no guilt. This is not a guilty pleasure. I just really like her. I also really love Halsey. And I lump them together in my head a little bit. Like they both have this... Their sounds are not anything that anything alike, I don't think, but they've got this kind of nostalgic sad girl vibe mm. going, which like very appealing to the inner 14-year-old deep in my heart. It's not even <laughs> that deep, it's just like right there. And so I think that these are pretty similar. There is, I, I would say that Halsey's collection is a little heavier. She has bipolar disorder and she is writing about that and she is writing about feminism. She's writing about a lot of like broken heart, doom love, all of that kind of thing. But you don't need to, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I could, I read these poems and it, it didn't like break. My heart was not wrenched, you know? I was just like, oh, I remember what that, what it's like to feel like. It feels very young to me in the same way that Lana Del Rey, even though I'm sure she's pushing 30 by now, also feels very young to me and nostalgic and kind of 
gossamer. Like they both have that kind of shimmery veil over their words, which I don't know if I'm articulating that feeling very well. But I think if you're a fan of one or the other, then you know what I'm trying to say. But yeah, it's I think it would be a similar listening experience. It's not like overtly political, like a lot of spoken word, you're not gonna want to like run out and I don't know, get out the vote or something after you listen to these by any means. But I think that it can be um, thoughtful and soothing in similar ways. So that's I would leave me if I could by Halsey. Yeah, I like fell down this hole trying to find other poetry audiobooks that had music behind them. And like, those are the two as far as I can tell. Like, they just, this is not a thing that's particularly common. So instead, I picked At Blackwater Pond by Mary Oliver, which is read by her. And it is, Mary Oliver is a nature poet. So like, you're not going to get your city feelings here. But what you are going to get is like dreamy, sort of escape, beautiful imagery, very soothing. Um, And, you know, all poetry, I think, touches on emotional matters. But this is not like, you know, she's not, she's not trying to get you to do anything. She's just describing things. And it is, for me anyway, Mary Oliver's poetry has always been extremely soothing um, and very sort of like get out of my own head and get into nature, which is, you know, you didn't ask for that, but like it might be a nice alternative to your city feelings. Uh, and she's just great. Um, but yeah, I, I like because I, I listened to a sample, you know, of the Lana Del Rey and I was like, oh, this is this is really nice. Like, I can totally mm-hmm. see why this in particular combination would work for you. And like, I also kind of get, I guess, why more people aren't doing it. Like poetry is already sort of underserved in a lot of uh, in terms of funding in publishing. And it's not cheap to produce an audiobook that also has music underneath it. But I wish there were more. And if somebody else like is listening and knows of more, please do advise. Uh, like it can't only be famous musicians who get to do this, right? Like other people, other poets should get to do it too. Uh, so I too would like more of that. But again, my recommendation is At Blackwater Pond by Mary Oliver. And that is where we will end our show. Oop. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to our audio editor, Jen Zink, for making us sound great. If you would like more recommendations for books to read, you can check out bookriot.com. You can also find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. If you are inclined to leave a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts, we super appreciate it. It helps other folks to find the show. And we love to see the feedback. Thanks go out to our sponsors who help make this show possible each and every week. And in between shows, you can find us on social media. Amanda, where are you at? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And you can also find me mostly on Instagram at I am Jen IRL. That's I-A-M-J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.